chance for us to come into your presence and to be a part of this holy communion. Thank you for meeting us in this space, for spreading your banner of love over us, for offering grace and mercy and forgiveness to us as we've confessed our sins, and for restoring in us a new, a renewed spirit so that we can leave this time of communion in a different state than we entered it and ready to go out and to, to be a bold witness for you in the world. Thank you for all you've done for us, Jesus. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Well, this is one of those unique days where we find ourselves in a sermon series um, in between events. Mother's Day is coming, so it's not the time to launch a brand new um, sermon series just yet, but it's a good time for us to do what I like to call sometimes a, a, a character study or a case study sermon, a single sermon that kind of looks at a, a situation, and that's what we're going to do today in this sermon called The Donkey and the Lion Stood Guard, The Troubling Tale of a Wayward King, a Lying Prophet, and a Dead Messenger. Yeah, that's all part of the story from 1 Kings chapter 13. If you have your Bibles, you might follow along as we, as we look at this story together. It's a story that actually um, is a conversion story. And so as we go along and you are introduced to the characters, you'll have to ponder for yourselves who gets converted in this story. What does conversion look like? It's, it's also a story that reminds us that people fail, but God never does. Uh, people get it wrong. There's lots of that in this story, but, but God never gets it wrong in the end. He gets it right. And uh, it's also a story that kind of challenges us around this question. Um, how much can we get away with and still be okay with God? <laughs> I mean it this way, right? We sometimes say, well, God has all these rules, but does he really expect me to follow those? And is it really important that I do what he says? Or is it okay? To, is, there some, is there some room to flex that a little bit and, and just to take advantage of his grace? Well, all those questions and thoughts will be revealed to us as we go through this story. Now, a little history about where this is. Since 1 Kings is an Old Testament uh, passage, it's one of those that you probably want to, to ponder just a little bit of the history. So let me tell you a little bit what's going on here. This is in the, the time after King Solomon, who was the most prosperous of, of Israel's kings, he has died. And at his death, uh, his son, uh, Rehoboam, uh, goes out to try to, to get the people to follow him uh, and to be a part of what he's doing. And, and the people are asking for a lightening of the taxes, uh, lessen the burden that's on them, that Solomon had placed on them. But uh, Rehoboam, after talking to some young friends, decides, no, if you thought that my dad, that he was, he was hard on you, I want you to know that his waist isn't even as as thick and as tough as my little finger. I'm going to be even tougher than he was. And so when that happens, 10 of the tribes just head north. They're like, hey, we're done with this. We're going to be our own kingdom. We're going to be our own nation. We don't need you anymore. And, and actually, it had been prophesied that would happen. And the labor force leader, a man named Jeroboam, a man who had helped build the temple, would become the new king. And God had even told Jeroboam, listen, if you'll do what I, if you'll do what I tell you to do and follow my, my commands... I will make you as great a king as King David was. That's what God had already prophesied about Jeroboam. So Jeroboam goes with 10 tribes to start the northern kingdom. They'll be called Israel. 
and the southern kingdom will go under the moniker Judah. And that has all just happened when we get to this passage in 1 Kings chapter 13. And this is a story about things that are happening in the northern kingdom under King Jeroboam, some of his first tasks that he's going to be doing there. And um, one of the first things that he does there is um, he doesn't want his people going back down to Jerusalem. So instead of doing the very thing God had asked him to do, to be faithful, follow my decrees, he says, I'm going to set up two new centers of worship. And at these centers of worship, there'll be an altar for sacrifice, and there's going to be a golden calf at each one, one in Dan and one in Bethel. And that's where I want you all to go worship instead of worshiping down in Jerusalem. And, of course, in Jerusalem, we had the Levites that were overseeing things at the temple. But Jeroboam, ever the open-minded person, says to all of the people of the land, hey, if you want to serve as a priest, serve as a priest. And he doesn't follow uh, God's rules at all about who, who was supposed to work at the temple. Well, that's the pretext of our story. So let's dive into this incredibly troubling tale. By the word of the Lord, a man of God came from Judah to Bethel, just as Jeroboam was standing by the altar, his brand new altar, to make an offering, the first offering there. As he, as he goes to this event, we don't know who this man of God is. It's never told to us. It's just someone who was faithful to God, God's messenger in the story. And God's told him to go do this. He's given him a lot, of, a lot of instruction, but the story doesn't open with that. It says that the man of God got there, and when he gets there to this grand opening of the new altar, the first thing he does is he cries out against the altar. He's not condemning Jeroboam. He's making a curse, kind of, or a, a, a statement of, about this altar that's been built, because to God, it's kind of an abomination what he's done. And, and so this man of God goes and he stands there before the altar and he says, Oh, altar, altar, this is what the Lord says. A son named Josiah will be born to the house of David. You know, that's not going to happen for another hundred years from this story, but I digress. And, and on you, altar, he will sacrifice the priests of the high places who now make offerings here, and, and this is kind of macabre, sorry, I know we have kids in the room, and human bones will be on your altar. Now, that same day, the man of God gave a sign, and he said there before Jeroboam and all the officials that were there for this grand opening, he said, this is the sign that the Lord has declared. The altar will be split and the ashes on it will be poured out. So there was a fire on this altar. It was, it was already lit. It was ready for the first sacrifice to be offered. And, and sure enough, that's going to split in half. Well, when King Jeroboam heard what the man of God cried out against the altar at Bethel, the king stretched out his hand from the altar and said, seize him. But the hand he, he stretched out towards the man shriveled up so that it, he could not even pull it back. 
King Jeroboam's hand is shriveled right up, like straight out of the movies. Also, the altar was split in half, and its ashes poured right out on the ground according to the sign that was given by the man of God, by the word of the Lord. By the way, this is important to the story. This is about following the word of the Lord. That's what this whole story is really about. Do we do what God says or not? That's at the heart of the story. God had told him to go. God had given him the words to speak. God had instructed him what to do. And so far, he's done that flawlessly. And God is being lifted up, and Jeroboam is being sent a message. Now, I told you this was a conversion story, but we're about to see, although Jeroboam will be helped, he's not the person who gets converted. The king then said to the man of God, Intercede with the Lord your God and pray for me that my hand may be restored. So the man of God interceded with the Lord, and the king's hand was restored and became as it was before. Now, Jeroboam said to the man of God, Come home with me and have something to eat. I will give you a gift. I mean, he got his arm back. He's, he's feeling a little bit nicer all of a sudden, right? Uh, and after all, everything that this man said had already come true. It had already happened, or, not, or most of the things had come true. But this is where the story gets interesting. Remember, God is the one who's directing this man's path. In fact, God is the one directing all the paths in the story, and we'll see that as it plays out. But the man of God answered the king, even if you were to give me half your possessions, I would not go with you, nor would I eat bread and drink water here, that is, in the northern kingdom. For I was commanded by the word of the Lord, you must not eat bread or drink water or return by the way you came. So he took another road and did not return by the way he had come to Bethel. Now, so far in the story, the man of God, he gets high marks so far, right? He seems to have done everything God asked him to do. The king Jeroboam has had, he's been sent a powerful warning about, hey, you better get your act together, you're on the wrong path. And, uh, and so far, God seems to be the one getting all the credit and being listened to. But this is a troubling tale. And not everything goes the way we would want it to go or we think it should. Now, there was a certain old prophet who lived in Bethel, that is, in the northern kingdom. He was a prophet of the northern kingdom of King Jeroboam. And I want you to know ahead of time, he's kind of a cynical old guy. Uh, he probably has his doubts even about God at this point in the story. He's not real keen on some things that are happening, and, and likely he's even a person who said, you know, there's probably some wiggle room here. We don't have to go to Jerusalem. We can worship here. He, he may have even been an advisor to Jeroboam. We really don't know his function, except that he was a prophet and a priest of the northern kingdom. Well, there was this certain old prophet who lived in Bethel. His sons came and told him all that the man have, had, of God had done there that day. And they also told their father that he had, what he had said to the king. Now, this made the old prophet really curious, and so he, he asked them, which way did that man go? And the son showed him which road the man of God from Judah had taken. So he said to his sons, saddle the donkey for me. And when they had saddled the donkey for him, he mounted it, and he rode after the man of God. He found him sitting under an oak tree, and he asked, 
Are you the man of God who came from Judah? I am, he replied. So the prophet says to him, Hey, come home with me and eat. Now remember, the old prophet, this old lying and deceiving prophet, he, um, he has heard the whole story, so he knows this man of God is not supposed to come to his house or stop. He's kind of trying to play at something here like, huh, let's see if you really are who you say you are, and if you really are as obedient as you say. But the prophet says to him, the man of God says to him, excuse me, I cannot turn back and go with you, nor can I eat bread or drink water with you in this place. I have been told by the word of the Lord, you must not eat bread or drink water there or return by the way you came. Now the old prophet of the northern kingdom answered, well, you know, I too am a prophet, just as you are. And an angel said to me by the word of the Lord, Bring him back with you to your house so that he may eat bread and drink water. But he was lying to him. So the man of God returned with him, and he ate and drank in his house. Now, he hadn't done what God asked him to do at all, had he? He had not done what God asked him to do. God said, hey, get back. Don't do this thing. But the man of God failed. Let me say this to you again. People fail, but God never fails. He failed. And there's going to be, well, there's always kind of a price that's paid for our disobedience to God. It's, it depends on what it is. Luckily for us, Jesus didn't fail in his mission. And Jesus comes after this story. Uh, this is a story that does say that there's a, definite price that has to be paid for failure. But I want you to hear today that for us, Jesus paid the price of our failure. But before Jesus, this old, well, this man of God will pay a price for his disobedience. Well, they go to the home of the old prophet of the north. And while they were sitting at the table the word of the Lord actually did come to the old prophet of the north. And when it came to him, uh, he cried out to the man of God who he had invited into his home from Judah. And he said, this is what the Lord says. You have defied the word of the Lord and you have not kept the command the Lord your God gave you. You came back and ate bread and drank water in the place where he told you not to eat or drink. Therefore, your body will not be buried in the tombs of your father. Well, that's an ominous statement. I don't know how well the dinner went down after that got said, but after they had finished eating and drinking. By the way, it is interesting, right? This old prophet, we could, or this man of God, right? We could call him a kind of preacher. He doesn't get undone by the power of the king, but a good home-cooked meal is what actually is a temptation that breaks him down. Uh, that breaks a lot of us down, I'm afraid. <laughs> when the man of God had finished eating and drinking, after all these things had happened, uh, the old prophet of the north who had brought him back saddled up his own donkey for this man. And as the man of God went on his way, a lion met him on the road and killed him. His body was thrown down on the road with both the donkey 
and the lion standing beside it. Wow. God had warned him, hey, don't do this thing. And the man of God, man, he paid a price for what had happened. Why did God let the story happen this way? Well, if God would do this to his own prophet, what would he do to Jeroboam? Jeroboam was leading a nation and thinking he didn't have to do what God said. <laughs> and God wanted to send a very clear message to him that, look, I expect you to do exactly what I've asked you to do. And I would tell you that even today, to obey is still better than sacrifice. If God asks us to do something, we really should do it. Well, it's also interesting. Do you know that historically speaking, the northern tribes were often compared to a, to a donkey. They'll be referenced in that way as a wild donkey. And the southern tribes are sometimes called the, the, the lion. In fact, Jesus is called the lion of the tribe of Judah. It's interesting that these are the two that stand there at the site of God's judgment, the north and the south. Well, some people who passed by saw the body thrown down where the lion standing beside the body, and they went and reported it in the city where the old prophet of the north lived. When the prophet who had brought him back from his journey heard of it, he said, it is the man of God who defied the word of the Lord. The Lord has given him over to the lion, which has mauled him and killed him, just as the Lord had warned him. The old prophet said to his son, saddle the donkey for me. By the way, his sons have to do a lot of donkey saddling, don't they, in the story? They did so. And uh, then he went out and he found the body thrown down on the road with a donkey and the lion standing beside it. Now the lion had neither eaten the body nor mauled the donkey. So the prophet picked up the body of the man of God, laid it on the donkey, and brought it back to his own city to mourn for him and to bury him. What's happened there? I told you this was a conversion story. The old prophet who lied, who deceived, who was contributing in a way to the death of this prophet, the man of God, he's had an experience with God. God actually did speak through him. God's word actually did come true, exactly as it had been prophesied it would. And now he's had his own moment of saying, hmm, there's something to this. And he'll make, a testify, he'll, he'll make a testimony of that to his sons in just a moment. He laid the body in his very own tomb. And there he mourned over him. And he said, oh, my brother. He had rejoined the faithful. He knew this was a real man of God. He knew that God had spoken through him. His cynicism seems to have left. After burying him, he said to his sons, when I die, bury me in the grave where the man of God is buried and lay my bones beside his bones. For the message he declared by the word of the Lord against the altar in Bethel and against all the shrines and the high places, that is where they worshiped false gods, in the towns of Samaria, they will certainly come true. But even after this, old King Jeroboam did not change his evil ways, but once more appointed priests for the high places from all sorts of people. Anyone who wanted to become a priest, he consecrated for the high places. 
Indeed, this was the sin of the house of Jeroboam that he led that led to its downfall and to its destruction from the face of the earth. What an interesting, crazy story. <laughs> a lying prophet, a man of God, a troubling tale, a donkey and a lion, all of which pointed to the fact that it was the cynic who changed his ways, and it was the king who failed the change. I wonder in the story, who are we most like? Are we like Jeroboam, stuck in our ways, unwilling to yield to God's will? Or are we like that old prophet, the person who knows God, the Christian, the follower of God, who's been a follower for a long time, but frequently takes a side path to go back and dip our foot in the world just for a time, not really caring, hey, God's grace is sufficient. Who are we like in the story? Maybe none of the characters, maybe all of them. I don't know where you are, but God does. So let's review the high points of this series, or of this sermon. People make mistakes. God doesn't. People fail. God doesn't fail. The man of God from Judah did not complete his task. Jesus Christ did. He didn't fail. Sadly, in this story, we have the whole entirety to know that Jeroboam's sins really were the downfall of the northern kingdoms. And there are no good tribes or good, excuse me, no more good kings that come after him out of those 10 tribes. Indeed, the northern kingdom will become what's called the lost tribes of Israel. They'll be taken over by their neighbors. It's a crazy story, but let's not miss, let's not miss this. Satan's lie from the beginning of creation has been, did God really tell you you have to do it a certain way? Does God really expect you to do it the way he says? That's what led to the downfall of Adam and Eve, and that still plays on us today. We can call it situational ethics, or we can, we can use all kinds of reasons to justify bad behavior, but at the end of the day, God still says to obey me is better than sacrifice. And it's not that God's put rules and statements out there to be a mean God. In fact, you need to understand this. Every rule God has, everything God says is for a purpose, and his purpose is to protect us, not to harm us. He doesn't want to harm us. He wants to protect us because God knows the end of all behaviors, he sees how what we think of as a little careless white lie can lead to really bad things. And so he says, don't lie, not in the big things or the little things. And he, he sees how what we think might be a harmless flirtation with a coworker can lead to all kinds of destruction in the family. So he says, don't, don't do that. Uh, don't get involved in those ways. Don't let lust come into your heart and mind. Little things, they matter. Do what I've asked you to do. Be who I ask you to be. One of the things that we have to ask ourselves sometimes is, well, what is God's expectation for me to be right with him? What's he asking for me? Well, if you're a Christian, I think today this sermon is one of those, that this, this story is one that says, hey, I need to, to work harder at staying on the narrow road and not moving to the right or the left, but just being where God wants me to be. And if you're not yet a Christian and you're not yet a follower of God, this is a, a story that I think reminds us, maybe I should do the thing he asked me to do. And and this is what was asked of us. 
from the first sermon that was preached on Pentecost after Jesus had ascended into heaven to the very end of the Bible. The message that we're called to is says that if you're not right with God, you should repent. You should confess your sins to him and you should confess that you desire him to be your Lord and your Savior. You should be faithful in Christian baptism. Be filled with God's spirit to rise and to walk a new path in life and that then you should be faithful unto death. Heeding what he said and being a witness for him in the world, a faithful witness for him in the world. Well, if you have a decision to make today, this is a good time to make it. It might be a personal one where you're just saying, hey, I need to get right with God in the area, confess where that is, and God is faithful and just to forgive you of all unrighteousness if you are in Christ. It also might be that if you're a person who's never accepted him, this is the day for salvation to come into your life. Be faithful in baptism. Be faithful to do the thing that God has asked you to do. If you have a decision to make, would you make it as we stand and we sing our hymn of invitation?